All right, uh, we have for uh, the last couple months, um, every year at, at our teaching nights, we, we want to look at one topic and kind of approach it from like seven or eight different ways. And so this time around, we have looked at uh, the church you've always wanted, um, which is a little pretentious of a title, um, but it really is to help us kind of understand what are like the, the marks of a healthy church, that if we're all kind of looking for that, that's why you're here on Tuesday night, um, we're all looking for um, a church that is healthy, a church that like cares about the community, a church that its leadership is not weird, a church who uh, its people are welcoming and things like that. Uh, we've wanted to look at kind of different things that would make up a church uh, that you'd want to be a part of. And uh, so tonight we're going to talk about um, a place to belong. And what we mean by that is there are a thousand places uh, that you can kind of give your allegiance to. Uh, and we look at scripture and we see that for some reason, Jesus has said um, his church is who he chose to die for. Uh, his church is who he gathers. His church is who he's going to marry at the end of it all. Uh, Revelation 21, which we'll talk about on Sunday if you're here, um, is this, this great wedding feast of the Lamb. So Jesus and his church uh, marry each other in this kind of mystic, sweet, weird way. And so um, if Jesus cares that much about the church, then we as those who are churchgoers and part of that um, can take an opportunity to really look and see like who we are and what we're about. And so um, when we think of belonging, um, when I say that word, what do y'all think about that? I don't know if you're done or not. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Good job, Amy. <laughs> what else? Acceptance. Acceptance. Seen. Seen. I'd say a place that, <clears throat> that people care about each other's needs, which you kind of need to know each other in order to do that. Yeah. Yeah, those are all, those are all wonderful things. Um, so tonight I want to take a look uh, together as we keep this idea of, uh, of a place to belong kind of at the forefront of your head. Um, and we want to borrow from a somewhat obscure passage in the Old Testament to really kind of put some skin on this idea and um, just exactly how, what God is calling us to and how God is calling us to build uh, a church that people want to be a part of. It's kind of in our, in our current cultural climate, it's important to remember that um, folks aren't just like flooding to church anymore. And the church is about 20 years behind on this idea that um, sort of the expectation is if we like open the doors that people will show up. And some of that happens for sure. Uh, but typically you know, the, the Bible belt kind of idea is really kind of gone. Um, 
It, it doesn't really exist anymore. And, um, and so when we look at church hurt and um, all the damage that that's done and purity culture and all the damage that that's done um, and the flood of information that is kind of at our fingertips, um, and what do we as, as God's people do with all that? How do we have an effective witness to, um, to outsiders who might be a little hostile um, when we think of those who ought to be our enemies? There's no reason that folks who have never heard of church or anything like that um, should be interested in it. So um, whenever we think about what it is and talk about it, how do we talk about it or, or even create a place where uh, folks who are outsiders uh, would feel like they could be a part of it. And so we're going to look at uh, 2 Samuel chapter 9, if you have a copy of the handout that I, hand, that I gave you. Also, if you have a Bible app, you can look it up there. Um, but we're going to look at 2 Samuel chapter 9. This is a story of David, uh, King David. Uh, if you know that he's the shepherd boy who killed Goliath, um, he ascended the ranks. Uh, he was God's chosen king for the nation of Israel. Um, as it appears in the Old Testament. Um, and David was actually chosen and anointed to be the king of Israel while Israel already had a king. And so King Saul, who was the first king of Israel, uh, was on the throne. And um, when David killed Goliath, Saul was the king. It should have been Saul fighting Goliath, um, but he was not there. And so when David killed Goliath, he was anointed to be the next king. And Saul was like, Saul was pissed about that because it means, it means he's going to lose his job. And so um, Saul invited David kind of into his inner circle to like into his inner court, really. Um, he would eat food there. He married Saul's daughter, Michael. And um, one time when David was eating breakfast, Saul threw a spear at him because he was like so mad at him. He was so jealous. And then a lot of the Psalms are about David being on the run from Saul. And so he was... Uh, not well liked. And then uh, Israel was always fighting uh, in the Old Testament. They were fighting the Philistines, they were fighting the Babylonians, they were fighting the Assyrians. And during a fight with the Philistines, um, Saul was kind of leading a battle and he was wounded, mortally wounded. And uh, to avoid being captured, he killed himself. And so now he's dead, he's kind of out of the way and David is now the king of Israel. And when new kings would take the throne, if you've seen Game of Thrones or anything like that, when new kings would take the throne who were out of the bloodline of the old king, um, they would kill everybody in the king's family because they're like, nobody, we don't need anybody having a claim on this throne. So we're going to kill them all. And so that is, is what David was expected to do. And um, so David, he takes the throne. The assumption is that he was going to kill everybody. But instead he looks and he asks, um, is there anybody from Saul's house left? And there was only one person um, who was uh, actually his best friend, Jonathan's son, whose name was Mephibosheth, which is a terrible name. <laughs> We're gonna call him Phoebe from now on. Um, and so Phoebe was the only one left. Um, and so Phoebe was physically disabled. Uh, the Bible calls him lame, we'll see. Not the like, he's not cool sense, but actually lame. Um, his legs don't work. Uh, in other words, he had nothing to offer. Uh, so let's look at uh, that sheet together. I'm going to read the entirety of chapter nine. Um, it's 13 verses or so. So let's give our attention to reading God's word. Uh, this is the word of the Lord. 
And David said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David and the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, is there still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, there's a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Maker or something, the son of Amiel of Lodabar. <coughs> then King David sent and brought him from the house of Maker, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. David said, Phibi. And he answered, behold, I'm your servant. And David said to him, do not fear for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, all that belong to Saul and to all of his house, I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Phibi, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. And Ziba said to the king, according to all the Lord, the king commands his servants, so your servant will do. So Phibi ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Phibi had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Phibi's servants. So Phibi lived in Jerusalem for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. Let's pray again. Uh, Lord, as we read your word uh, and dare to speak of it, uh, would you... Uh, illuminate what you need us to, to know. Uh, would you quiet uh, anything that might confuse us uh, and let us see what you might have for us. That's in your name, would you pray? Amen. And so when we look at this passage and we look at David's kindness, um, when David honestly had no reason to be kind to Phoebe, um, I want you to, uh, if you're new to us, here's what we do sometimes. We kind of break up into smaller groups and like, I'll ask you a question, you'll talk about it, and then we'll come back together. Um, and so for the first one, here's what I want y'all to do. So grab three or four people around you. I want you to answer this question. Uh, when have you been shown Christian kindness when you should have been shown something else? When, have you been, when has a Christian been really nice to you when you didn't deserve it, honestly? Um, this could be a church, it could be your life, whatever it is. But take three or four folks around you and for just a few minutes talk about this. Uh, and I will come bring us back together in just a second. All right. All right. Frost, Aaron Frost, that is. I forgot your brother was here. Um, what did y'all talk about? What was your example? Do you want to share it with a, do you, do you want to share it? You didn't have one. I've bought you so many lunches. <laughs> We've been to Taqueria so many times. Aaron, unbelievable. Unbelievable. No, I hate it because my brother was here, but when I was younger, I just thought at the time when I was the youngest of five siblings and uh, didn't have a lot of friends. Like, I was really little in middle school, probably. My brother and Nathan, who's over there, and my other brother would just, they'd be like, yeah, come hang out with us and our friends tonight. I'd go to the movies with us. I'm looking back, now that I'm older, I'm like, I didn't have to do that. They're probably actually kind of annoying sometimes. <laughs> was it an annoying night? No, he's great. Oh, see? Look at that. We're still buds today. <laughs> <laughs> this is very, um, 
something that I didn't, they didn't have to do, they didn't. Sure, that's great. Delosure? I just said like pretty much being a kid, like anytime you were hungry, like I was afraid for my parents. Like growing up in your life and going to camp with leaders as a middle schooler and drinking like Red Bull to sneak out in the middle of the night. It's just like being the worst, they loved me and I was a terror. Yeah. All my friends, so lots of that. That's good. How about you, Austin Cole? Uh, kind of similar, uh, similar category there, but most there weren't a lot of specific instances that we talked about family and falling short of being there for family members or their expectations or for meeting their needs. Uh, just to be in their form and, and they've always shown grace. So, common thing to us. Sweet. Yeah, that's great. Um, and so let's, for a few minutes, let's do a little cultural dissection, if you will. Um, because we just shared with one another, like a moment, hopefully, unless you're Aaron, where people have been nice, the Christians have been nice to you, like Daryl, all the time to him. Um, and you know that you didn't like deserve that. Um, and so when we think of folks who might be outside of the church, that we want, we want to really show them everything they're looking for, right? Everything they desire can actually be fulfilled with scripture in Christianity. And so what are like some other, think of like organizations um, that kind of pitch like community as like their thing. Does that make sense? CrossFit would be an example, right? Like that's their thing. It's like we work out a ton, but we're, like we're bros and girls too, I guess. Like what are some organizations kind of like that where, because um, we're not, like the church isn't the only ones who use community, right? So what are some other, what are some other organizations like that that would say, or maybe you might, you might even be a part of one, a running club, a book club, whatever it might be. What are some of those things? Oh, pickleball. <laughs> why is pickleball, why did you put that in that category? Who said that? <laughs> why did you not tell me all of that? Um, because, I don't know, like everything is off yours when you're in the pickleball world. Tennis court? Yours. Sportsplex? Yours. Yeah. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I don't know. It's your answer. <laughs> what else did you put up here? Ooh. Oh, the Greek system. Y'all, that's a big one. You can even go to college at that point. Yeah. University. <laughs> Why, um, how many of y'all were in a fraternity or sorority? It's a fair amount. Um, why did you say that? Um, I, I was in one, but I wasn't like super involved in it. 
in it, but going, to, I went to Auburn, so like SEC school, and it's like a big thing. Not as big as it is at other schools, but it's being on the other side of it, seeing other girls come through recruitment, putting their like whole worth into this, and like trying to find the place that they want for like either status or like some girls just wanting to feel like they belong and that's where they're trying to find it. Yeah. And it's, it can either be like a great community or like, and yeah. It's yeah. Great. We're in the South. It's <laughs> <laughs> we are in the South. Um, would y'all say that stat, she said status a couple times. Would you say that is like a desire? Yeah, you would. What's that? Identity. He said identity. For inclusion. Why did you say identity, Aaron? Because someone who's not in a fraternity, and I see all the people that are all in the same fraternity talking to each other. And, uh, like have their own community, their own like club. I'm like, oh, I wish I had that badge. Yeah. Because yeah, then I could be in the club. Did it feel like that in your sorority? I love mine, but I mean, there were definitely like people wanting to be in certain ones so they can wear that badge. Yeah. What are some other ones? Maybe give me one more. I think where you work could be one, depending on what you do and like where you're working. Maybe like a job title. Yeah. Yeah. What, um, why do you say that? Um, so when I was in grad school, I went to Ohio State for grad school, and in Columbus, Ohio, there is this, this is just maybe the sorority for a fraternity thing. There is this uh, big medical company in Columbus that uh, they had beer on tap, free lunch, and all you can eat ice cream. And so all the biostatistic and epidemiology people really wanted to be hired there. Yeah. Um, I worked for the state, so I did not get hired there. <laughs> but uh, it was like, just like such a big deal to everyone, like where you were going to be working. There, like when we were graduating, when you graduated, they listed where you got, you were working when you graduated, and I just there was a lot of judgment with people based off of where they ended up, and uh, it felt like there was like a lot of status to it, and there was also like um, you kind of knew how much other people were making based off of where they were working. Oh yeah. Just by listing that, because like you kind of had an idea, um, and it kind of felt like. Once we all like went off to whatever jobs we were, we kind of only hung out with the people that were at that office with you, versus like the same, like not necessarily like, the same people that you were in classes with. And stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, that's wild. Would y'all say that is true in Nashville? Like y'all are kind of starting, you know, young professionals, you're starting your careers. Uh, do y'all feel like that's true in Nashville? What's like the place to work? 
in your field. Midtown is that for pastors. <laughs> so I've made it. I think it's almost like neighborhood you live in would be the status thing in Nashville. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's an expensive city, so that's kind of like, I don't know, that's kind of what I gather. Maybe that's my own, like, <laughs> <laughs> I can't afford, you know, like, I'm sure. Of, Yeah. Got it. <laughs> yeah, I get it. I get it. And so, when we let's look back at the um, the verses that I printed out for you. Um, so we have Phoebe, who, he, by again, by all, really all right and authority from David, should not be alive. Like that was the fear that's kind of behind this whenever David is asking if there's anybody in the house of Saul and it's all he's like, like he had to tell them, don't be afraid. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to wipe you out, even though that's what you think needs to happen. And so he goes, this is wildly countercultural for a king to do this. And um, instead of taking him out back and putting him out of his misery, he actually says to him, uh, instead, I'm going to bless you. And the name Mephibosheth uh, in Hebrew actually means the end of shame. And so he was named this, he, he was shamed because he, he was useless. He couldn't do anything uh, to really like further his career or further his status or even try to like take David's throne from him. He was, he couldn't walk, he couldn't do anything. And so David really brought him in and um, and kind of ends that like generational curse and, and puts to silence all these calls that Saul's family needs to be wiped out. Cause Saul, um, what, when he was king, like people really wanted him at first, but then he was kind of a bad one. So they, they really wanted to get rid of him and kind of erase him from history. Like, let's just kind of forget that he even existed. But David is saying that's not gonna happen. Um, and so if you, if you think about that uh, and then fast forward uh, a couple thousand years, um, in scripture and Jesus shows up who is known as the King of Kings. He's known as the son of David and, uh, really the true and better David, uh, as he's been called, um, who comes and instead of, instead of putting his enemies to death, there, there is that, right? We're walking through revelation. Um, for some of us, he has extended mercy and grace, uh, and we have been invited to his table. And so this story is really just a story of us. It's really our story, um, but we're not the king, right? We are, we're all fibbies. And so Jesus, who brings all of us in, when we have nothing to offer him, um, and then he gives us instead these things, right? He gives us a status and that we're called sons of God. We're called co-heirs with him. Uh, he gives us an identity and that we are his, right? I've called you by name, you're mine. Uh, preached about this on Sunday. If you were here, his name is on our forehead. We are marked and set apart for him. Um, and then he brings us in to um, this family of God that we're all like trying to grasp at. Um, 
all the community that we desire, all those things um, can be found in this. And so when you think of really all those things you mentioned, the Greek system, the right neighborhood, the right job, um, pickleball, CrossFit, all these folks and all these organizations that are promising to give and then they fall short. When you think of folks who are kind of outside of this room, and we want to see this room filled, um, when you think of folks who are outside of this room, how does Christianity um, bridge this gap between what we desire and then fulfillment? And so how does it do that? And how can we as, um, how can we as Midtown 12 South aid in that? How can we actually be like a bridge between what the world is desiring and saying, everything you want, we actually, we actually have it? done, Cam. And so when we think of desire, right, there's status, identity was starting out there, inclusion was starting out there. I have a Bible study that meets on Thursday mornings, um, every other Thursday. And uh, I asked the dudes in there this morning, and I want y'all to answer this. I want you to answer it honestly. Um, we were talking about our jobs. And I said, would you take a smaller salary if it meant you had more freedom? How would you answer that? I see you're nodding your head yes. Why is that? Why would you agree with that? Yeah. So like freedom would be a desire, right? Would that be fair to say? Yeah. 
Would y'all agree with that statement? Like the, would you take a less salary for more money or, or more, less money for more freedom? Or are you like, nah, man, slave me up, give me that cash. <laughs> Paige is nodding your head, yes. the ways that sometimes not having money feels like you're trapped. Like I like being able to, if I have money, like I feel like I can invite people over and I can make dinner, I can get like, I don't know, there's just like more opportunities that, I don't know, but I also understand that like I am monetarily motivated and I do have to Hey, look, everybody in here loves money, Paige, okay? You're that's the one that said it out loud. All right. No, that's, a, that's, a, that's really good because it is money, right? And that's not wrong, but it's also more than money, right? Because what did, what did, what did Paige say money does? What did you say? Freedom, right? Very good. Opportunity, that's also good. What was that? Give you a lot of peace. Ooh. Comfort. Comfort. Now you're talking. (laughs) (laughs) We hit something there. (laughs) We got on to something. No, this is so good, right? Y'all, peace and comfort. That's huge. Um, do y'all know the author Harrison Scott Key? Have y'all ever heard that name? Um, he wrote a book on marriage recently, and he said in his book, I don't love money. I just like the things that money can get me. So like, that's like, that's what Paige is saying, is that while money is wonderful, and I do love it, and I want more of it, um, it's also because it still gives us this freedom, right? And the peace and the comfort Except, you all know this, right? There are people who have it, and they don't have any of this. And so what would you say to that person? Like, we all know that there are people who have tons of money, and they don't have any of this stuff, right? So let's, let's pick on this one. Let's pick on peace for a second. And then I promise I'll leave you alone in a few minutes. Um, if this is something like we all sort of kind of nodded our head with that is a huge desire, not just of the world, but probably of every human that's ever lived, right? 
how can you take this, this person who says, I just want some peace, and they come to you and you're like, hey, you're a Christian. How does that, how would being a Christian fulfill this? What I consider peace would be, like, mostly for me, a lack of anxiety, like, a lack of worry. Um, and so I feel like the fact that I have God to fall back on, like, I don't have to worry that I'm going to fall because he's behind me, kind of holding me up, if yeah. that makes sense. It does. Um, and so I think kind of, like, accepting Christ and all of that sort of situation is just like it brings you peace because you're not the one having to do all the work. It's already been done. It's out of your hands. So you don't have to worry as much about it. Yeah, that's great. Would y'all add anything to that? <laughs> I have to remind myself as anxious as I get now, like It'll, like, not compare it to anything, like, when his new kingdom is here. Like, all of that will just be dust in the wind. Yeah. Like, we, we paid it all, and we should just look towards that to find peace in that. Sure. That's so good. Go for it. <laughs> I feel like I'm someone who really struggles with black and white thinking, and I think um, like a relationship with Christ gives me a lot of peace in knowing that it's okay if I don't have the answer at the end of the day because I know that God does. Yeah. Was that it? That was it. Okay. <laughs> it ended abruptly. I wasn't sure. <laughs> yeah, that's excellent. Yeah, it's so true. Because here's the thing, like, when it comes with peace, right? Um, and I'll leave, I promise I'll leave you alone eventually. Um, what does Jesus say about peace? Surpasses our understanding. Oh, that's good. Well done, Georgia. Yeah. And something personally that's always that's helped me a lot, especially that I really struggle with anxiety, is like when I like can't find peace or really struggle with it, I'm like one of my best friends like included this in her prayer one time. She was like, Jesus, I'm sure you struggle with anxiety when you were <laughs> you know, just like that oddly gives me peace too, knowing that like he was a human and he knows the struggle of anxiety and of being on earth too. Yeah. So that gives me peace knowing that everything we struggle with and encounter, he did too. So yeah. I'm like, okay, I can, I can overcome this then. Like, yeah, that's great. What else? There's one big one. Peace of being whole. Yeah. 
That's true. That's not what I was thinking. That is good. With pace, I think of like something is like assured, um, where it's like as believers we know that um, like we're saved, and so like, the pressure's off. Where it's like we don't have to earn our way to heaven, but know that like, God loves us, sent His Son to die for us. So good. That Jesus is the embodiment of peace. It's there we go. Who said that? Allie? Well done. This is her first time. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus is the embodiment of peace. Uh, and why is that? Not just you, anybody. What's one of his nicknames? <laughs> Got it. There we go. So good. We nailed it. We got there, guys. We got there. And so, when there's someone who is desiring peace, the church can actually hold out for them that peace isn't just a concept, it's actually a person. And, right, your life is not going to have, your life is not going to have this as long as you're fighting against this, right? As long as you're fighting against Jesus, even for the believer, right? There's not going to be peace because peace is a person, not just a concept, right? So we rest, you rest in Jesus. The reason the, the world would look to these things and find them and like throw themselves completely into something like the Greek system or something like, um, work, especially work, right? That's going to be the big one for y'all. Um, and still find themselves lacking is because it was designed that way, right? For, um, for David, even David, as wonderful as he was, um, if you spent time around church, you know that David was kind of a sleazeball. Um, and slept with another man's wife and then had her husband killed and like started this spiral. He got her pregnant, their son died as a result of it. And that even David himself, who had all of this more than any of us ever would, right? Um, whenever we look at our friends kind of on the outside, we wanna start thinking like, when we think of belonging, is that you're only actually going to find it. You're only going to find it in the church. Because if you snap your leg off, you're not playing pickleball anymore, right? If you come to your senses, you're not doing CrossFit anymore. <laughs> if you, you know, the Greek system, you kind of graduate out of it. It's always there, right? That's what they sell you. Um, <laughs> But like, if you get kicked out of your house when you're 30, you're not moving back in with the Tri-Delts down in Auburn, right? There, there comes a time when this stuff goes away. And so this desire can only be met in the church. And that's a bold claim to make, right? Which is why it's so hard to answer this question um, is because it's so it's so hard to believe that it's actually true. Um, it's hard to believe because you've been let down. Um, 
And for many of you, Jesus has kind of let you down. Um, you have things that you desire, and we don't, even have, we don't have to list those because you know what they are, that Jesus hasn't fulfilled for you. And so what we want to ask is, uh, we won't ask this now, you can, this kind of be your parting thoughts, is where even in your own heart are you longing for, like, fulfillment? And then um, how can Jesus, like, do that for you? Does that make sense? Sweet. Um, well, let me pray for us. Uh, we can hang out for a few to, like, 840 or so, and then I'll kick you out. But let me pray for us. Uh, Lord, you are good to us. Um, help us to, to see that um, it is only in, in you that we find um, really true rest and true peace. Uh, it is only in your church that um, we can find a place to belong. It's only in church that, you, um, that your mercy exists. Uh, so, Lord, would you have tons of that on us uh, as we figure out um, one, how to live within uh, the parameters that you've given us um, and also invite uh, those that we care for and love deeply um, into a greater relationship with you. Uh, so Jesus, would you do that? Jesus, whatever it is that my friends here are longing for, uh, would you give it to them? Um, would you be so kind as to, to grant uh, what it is that they desire? Um, and Lord, if it's your will not to do that, would you comfort us all? Uh, it's your name we do pray. Amen.